Lights. Camera. Philosophy. It's the 2023 Dionysus Awards. For the most philosophically compelling movies of the past year. And the nominees are... For Meatiest Meditation on Mortality and Meaning, In the British Isles. Are you Rowan? I didn't think we were Rowan. Well, you are Rowan. Well, you are Rowan. He's sitting outside in his own like a watchman call. That does look like we're Rowan. For coolest contemplation of complicated comeuppances. This is my score. Video, you're confused. It's my score! The Combo Cup for Greatest Genre Palooza. Sometimes people say that my head is too big for my body, and then I say, compared to what? Join us as we celebrate the most thought-provoking movies of the past year. The 2023 Dionysus Awards, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Jeremy Sable, sitting in for Ray Briggs. And I'm Josh Landy. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative, and I teach in Stanford's Structured Liberal Education Program. Jeremy's back as a special co-host for our annual celebration of some of our favorite, most philosophically compelling movies of the past year. It's the Dionysus Awards. So Josh, I think it's been a fascinating year at the movies. One thing I've noticed is there are tons of films about billionaires. Glass Onion, The Menu, Triangle of Sadness. It's like billionaires are like the new Greek gods. Yeah, yeah, I see your point. Like they're, they're massively powerful. They basically can't be harmed. They, they don't have to work unless they want to. And so they get bored. And out of their boredom, what do they do? They come and mess with the lives of mere mortals like you and me, just for the lols. <laughs> We're actually going to be talking about one of the movies you mentioned, Triangle of Sadness, later in the show. It's going to be competing for the award of Coolest Contemplation of Complicated Comeuppances. <laughs> We're also going to consider nominees in the category of Meatiest Meditation on Mortality and Meaning in the British Isles, along with a pair of movies vying for the Combo Cup for Greatest Genre Palooza. Yeah, and of course, we'll take nominations from listeners like you, who've written in with thought-provoking, Dionysus-worthy films. Yeah, people are still making great films, uh, but sadly, the state of the movie theater is looking rather grim right now. So we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out what it could take for cinemas to survive. She files this report. The movies that did best at the domestic box office in 2022 all had one thing in common. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. They were all franchises. Top Gun Maverick was the biggest hit last year, followed by Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The Black Panther is gone. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Giant monsters I can clearly handle, but what bothers me is that last night you were in my dream. Sequels are a reliable way to bring already hooked audiences back in. And threatened by Netflix and the pandemic, theaters really need those audiences. Television was going to kill the movie theaters. HBO was going to kill movie theaters. Home video was going to kill movie theaters. DVD was going to kill movie theaters. We've been through this narrative so many times. Kai Boyd is the owner of Rialta Cinemas Elmwood in Berkeley, California. That independent movie theater has been through a lot. 
The building opened in 1919, then closed during World War II before reopening in 1947. Then there was a fire, uh, which was started by the business next door. Accident, you know, the, that building caught fire, embers got into the theater, and part of the theater went up. The site was going to be sold and redeveloped, but then in a late-night city council meeting, the city of Berkeley declared the movie theater a landmark. Then in 2005, there was a flood, and that closed the theater for a while. Boyd says Berkeley once had 20 movie screens, and the Elmwood Theater was like David among Goliaths. Now, surprisingly, Rialto Cinema's Elmwood is the last cinema standing in Berkeley. He says city leaders should have done more to protect its movie theaters. The pandemic harmed our business, but the reason the theaters in downtown Berkeley closed has everything to do with real estate development and the fact that communities like Berkeley are not valuing the contribution to culture that movie theaters create. So Boyd and other theater owners must get creative. During the pandemic lockdowns, the theater recommended films to watch at home and sold popcorn to passers-by. They started a GoFundMe campaign and raised over $125,000. We're not quite profitable yet, and we have to get back to being at least break-even and hopefully a little bit profitable. Showing blockbuster hits is one way to bring in money, but the Elmwood Theater offers something different. You can watch documentaries on artists, British theater, even a dog and cat film festival. We need diverse storytelling. We need storytelling for kids. We need storytelling for young adults. What I think Hollywood has really started to learn in the last year or so is that if you make it and if you put it in movie theaters, people will come. Boyd still remembers falling in love with movies as a kid when his mom took him and his brother to see Walt Disney's The Aristocats, a film with no sequel, no prequel, or remake. Which pet's address is the finest in Paris? Which pets possess the longest pedigree? Which pets get to sleep on velvet mats? Naturellement, the aristocats. Now Boyd wants more people to experience that same joy. The theater is even offering a free movie series to bring people back. Streaming options are endless, but there's nothing quite like becoming an audience with a group of strangers in a darkened room. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Thanks, Holly, for that great report. I really hope cinemas can survive. I'm Josh Landy. With me is my Stanford colleague and guest co-host, Jeremy Sable, and it's our annual Dionysus Awards for the most philosophically compelling movies of the past year. So, Josh, let's get right to it. For our first award, we've got two movies competing for the Combo Cup for Greatest Genre Palooza, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Both of these movies are fascinating mashups. It's like each of them is many movies in one. Uh, Everything Ever All at Once, of course, got a lot of press and uh, maybe our listeners have seen it. But if you haven't seen it, it's a little hard to summarize. <laughs> but the main character, Evelyn, played by Michelle Yeoh, is in trouble with the IRS, with her husband, with her daughter. Meanwhile, the multiverse is under threat from a supervillain. Evelyn has to solve everything at once. I mean everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh also, God, literally going there is a Chinese New Year party tonight. Uh-huh. Open to all the customers in the community. Thank you. Please come and this enjoy the good food okay. and nice music, okay? All right. I get you an in, uh, invite. Moment, moment, please. It's a coming of age film. Uh, it's a martial arts action flick. It's a Marvel multiverse send up. 
it's a remarriage rom-com. So it's just got a lot of genres that make the movie kind of frenetic and crazy and loony and delightful to watch. And there's a couple of things in there that honestly are my favorite bits of cinema of 2022. There's an incredible scene involving characters with sausage fingers and another incredible scene in which characters turn into a pair of rocks on a hillside in an imaginary universe where human life did not evolve. She appears to be in a universe where everyone has hot dogs instead of fingers. I mean, it just doesn't matter how many times I see it. I'm so... (laughs) (laughs) Evolutionary branch in the anatomy of the human race? What I find philosophically interesting about this film is that it uses the kind of genre of the multiverse movie to get at some interesting philosophical questions. If we think about kind of from the classic existentialist position that we are confronted by choices, that we have to choose our own projects and our destinies, um, this plays out in the movie as each of these choices kind of represents a whole parallel universe. So we can kind of see the range of all the possible choices we could make and also the, the specter of nihilism that just as all these parallel universes are existing in real time, maybe our choices don't really matter. That one choice instead of another, nothing really matters. So that's kind of fascinating. I have to issue a spoiler alert about the ending here, but there's a parallel universe within the movie in which Evelyn, instead of marrying Waymond and becoming the owner of a laundromat, uh, embarks on this incredibly successful martial arts movie career. And the brilliant conceit here is, of course, Michelle Yeoh, did exactly that, <laughs> right? She is one of the most world famous and brilliant martial arts stars, and of course, stars in every other respect. But what the movie invites us to believe at the end is, in fact, she made the right choice in marrying Waymond and living this life instead of Michelle's Yo's life. And I, you know, I get that, but I also find it a little hard to to buy. Yeah, so this is where I think the greatest strength of the film, this kind of use of the multiverse, is also kind of its greatest weakness, that the film allows us to imagine and kind of objectively see all of our um, choices in this garden of forking paths. Um, But in reality, we make one choice and we suffer its consequences, and that's the world we live in. And this movie begs the question a little bit of the consequences of our choices, that in fact we do the, the way around nihilism or the way through nihilism is to accept the consequences of the choices that we in fact do make just once. You have no idea what you've done. You're stuck like this forever. No, I'm going backwards to my joy, to my family, Live my life, a happy life. Okay. Good luck with that. Now, tell me a little bit about Marcel the Shell. This is a mockumentary about a one-inch talking shell, written by uh, Dean Fleischerkamp and Jenny Slate and Nick Paley. And Jenny Slate does the voice of Marcel, and it's cute and adorable and 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 funny, but but also tragic. And so this film is this a, a brilliant, unstable amalgam of absurdist comedy and real pathos, real melancholy. It's just bittersweet all the way through. My name is Marcel, and I'm partially a shell, as you can see on my body, but I also have shoes and um, a face, so... I like that about myself, and I like myself, and I have a lot of other great qualities as well. It's like one of the great 
challenges that a set of movie makers have set themselves and one of the great achievements that they really can get you to care in this very deep way. I mean, the very first question that the interviewer asks Dean uh, within this mockumentary is, has it been hard for you? Not in the way that I think you would think it would be, but... Uh... It's pretty much common knowledge that it takes at least 20 shells to have a community. But it's always going back and forth. There's this fantastic bit where Marcel's being interviewed by Leslie Stahl for 60 minutes. And Leslie Stahl says, how long has it been since you've seen your family? I couldn't tell you, but I, the space in my heart gets bigger and louder every day. Mm. Dean, do you know how long? That's two years. Two years? Yeah. Oh, that's nice to know. He's all delighted. It's a nice fact that he can carry away. It's just bouncing backwards and forwards from happy to sad to happy to sad, bitter to sweet. It never leaves you any moment of emotional stability. There's something very basic and naive and unmediated about Marcel himself. And this is partly why we have access to his inner life so much and why we are allowed to feel so much is that he somehow is offering himself up very naively and simply about basic things, about how we should feel about others, our relationship to nature. The film ends with Marcel's kind of German idealism, you know, this <laughs> being one with nature and feeling at home in nature. I, I, I kind of want to make a Marcel the shelling joke. It connected me, I felt like, to everything because if I wasn't there, the sound never would exist. And I felt like... Everything was in pieces, and then I stood there, and suddenly we were one large instrument. The film kind of raises the question where were we, the 60 Minutes audience, the, the internet audience of Marcel, we're all fascinated by Marcel and his commitments to others and his spontaneous directness. Um, but are we learning how to do that from Marcel? I mean, it seems like we're, fa you know, the Dean and Jenny are failing at it. The couple in whose homes Marcel begins and they, they, their marriage failed. So there's this kind of poverty of human relations that's at the periphery of the film. Maybe that's just a part of the wistfulness of this film. It has a certain lightness to it. It has a lot of sweetness to it. It has some hope to it. But there's always an undercurrent of melancholy. There's always an undercurrent of tragedy. There's always an undercurrent of insufficiency. And that, I think, is what makes it such an totally unusual and deeply strange and brilliant uh, work of art. Which brings me mm. to an important question, if I haven't stacked the deck <laughs> excessively. <laughs> Which of these two films, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On and Everything Everywhere All at Once, wins this year's award? Well, this is tough, Josh, but I think the 2023 Dionysus Combo Cup for Greatest Genre Palooza goes to... Marcel Lachelle with shoes on. You know, my cousin fell asleep in a pocket, and that's why I don't like the saying everything comes out of the wash, because sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it does, and they're just like a completely different person. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.